So we're talking about this idea that faith, it's awakened for sure, but it also, there is, comes a point where it gets moving, where it starts to take steps forward. And what I'd like to suggest here together is that our willingness, listen, our willingness to receive his grace in our lives, our willingness to be open to what he wants to do in our lives, within our soul, within our relationships, within our key commitments, what he wants us what he wants of us or wants for us, our willingness to be open to his grace is the setup. It's the setup. It's the setup for the moment in our lives when we know without a shadow of a doubt it's on us to step up. When we know that there's nobody else that will do this for us, no one else can. We're the ones who are meant to. And I've always been fascinated by people who it seems so easy for them to capture those moments. They seem almost like divine moments where it's their moment to step into the gap or to step into the circumstance and they do it and they succeed. You know what I'm talking about? Those, those stories of accounts of people who are able to step up and they see it through and they walk away from those moments actually being able to be grateful for what they were able to do. Those, those always grab my attention. And I always kind of put a marker on those stories when they come up or those accounts or those biographical accounts. And I, I like to revisit them every once in a while. And maybe that's why I found myself revisiting a moment in time about almost 10 years ago now. It was January 15, 2009. And many of us will know the details of this, but it was 324 in the afternoon when U.S. Airways 1549 was leaving LaGuardia going to Charleston, South Carolina. And the pilot said that in a span of 100 seconds, the first 100 seconds of the flight, a gaggle of geese hit the flight. We know this story. And the Passengers in the flight heard loud banging and it sounded like pelleting on the, the aircraft. And then they saw, one section saw an engine up in flames a little bit. And then they all saw the smoke and they smelled the fuel in the air. And he says that in a span of 200 seconds, the pilot needed to make crucial decisions. Critical. No one else could make them. It was his moment. To step up. And thankfully, it was a moment where we got to witness an aircraft in danger over the New York skyline safely land in the Hudson River and be able to save those more than 100 souls on that craft. And I just, I just love this story. We know that he wrote Captain Sully as he's affectionately called Sullenberger, he wrote his own account, his biography. There was a movie made of him by Tom Hanks as the chief actor, right? He got interviewed countless times. He's actually from the Bay Area in the East Bay. But he got interviewed all throughout the nation. And I remember just re-watching some of these interviews and hearing him express what he was thinking, what he was experiencing when his moment came, when he needed to step up and no one else could. And the interviewer asked him, he says, did you train water landings? Was this part of your training, right? He says, no. <laughs> he says, you didn't, you didn't train these water, because we're taught that if there's an emergency, we have to put our life vests on, we have to get in the brace position in case of a water landing. And you're telling me you guys have never trained for them? He says, yeah, our simulator has just found it too unlikely to put into the program. 
to train water landings, which is reassuring, right? <laughs> and so he says, was it discussed at all? He says, yeah, in theory. He says, in theory? He says, yeah, in theory. He says, so, that, so, so basically you saw drawings on a chalkboard. He says, pretty much, that's, that's what we got in flight school. We, we, we got drawings on a chalkboard. And he says, so, so then he asks the question. The question, I think, is worth asking over and over. How in the world did you make the right decisions in the moments when you had mere minutes to do so? And what he said, I pressed pause, rewound it, and wrote it down. He says, we had to dig deep. We had to apply what we did know and adapt it to solve a problem we had never seen before. I thought, wow. Says, we had to dig deep, we had to apply what we did know, and we had to adapt it to solve a problem we had never seen before. I thought, what did he know? What did Captain Sullenberger know that he was able to apply and adapt to this problem he had never seen before. He was enrolled in the U.S. Air Force Academy in 1969, graduated as an officer in 1973 with a bachelor's in science. He served as a fighter pilot for the U.S. Air Force from 1973 to 1980. He was a flight leader and a training officer and attained the rank of captain while building up experience overseas. As a top pilot, he was the mission commander for red flag exercises in which pilots receive advanced aerial combat training. He was also a member of the Aircraft Accident Investigation Board. In 1980, he became a commercial pilot, and over his years of professional piloting, he became an instructor as well as an Airline Pilots Association safety chairman and an accident investigator. He participated in several U.S. Air Force and National Transportation Safety Board accident investigations, which means that he not only received high-level training and experience, but he also understood all the different elements that go wrong with an airline accident. When a flight goes wrong, he understood. He saw the results of poor decision-making. And he was the one who investigated and was able to go back and forensically analyze what was it that needed to happen in order for this accident to be avoided. And so his preparation, though it didn't result in him being exactly trained for that exact moment, his depth of knowledge that he was able to dig deep and apply and then adapt to his circumstances he had never seen before, it was vast. Which made an enormous impact on me because I felt like it struck me. You know what? It means that there was a whole lot of work that went into being the type of person who could step up for the situation he had to step up into. Man, this is true for life. This is true in all other aspects of life. I think of those of us who have pursued a, a degree or an advanced degree. There's an enormous amount of energy. There's an enormous amount of time. There's some degree of sacrifice. There's some degree of discipline that is required. And really, what at the end of the day, that ceremony of graduation really means, conventionally speaking, is we are then given the privilege to begin our vocation. It is an enormous amount of work to start, to step into the work. I have friends who 
Uh, over the years, I've gotten to walk with couples. I've gotten to be even efficient at weddings. I've gotten to see friends go through the process. I've gotten to experience it myself. And the amount of energy when a couple becomes engaged to the moment they, they celebrate their wedding ceremony, there's an enormous amount of activity. There's all kinds of negotiations and decision-making and lobbying and counter-lobbying and you know, compromises here and there. And there's all this amount of attention and detail to the down to the seat, to the place setting, everything that we care about. We put all this energy into it. And I remember my wife and I, it was almost nine years ago now, getting to our wedding day feeling like we were crossing a finish line. And I, I know I've seen people get there and there's like, we made it. And, and, and internally, we're, those of us who may have a little bit more experience, like, you're just beginning. <laughs> you're about to start. You made it to the start line. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> because all of that work was a setup for them to step up. This happens in every aspect of life and it is not unfamiliar in our faith journey. See, our willingness to receive his grace and let it do its work in our lives when the pressure is not on or when things are actually maybe going smoothly or we may think this is not relevant to our lives, all of that work of allowing his grace in our lives, you know what it is? It's a setup. It's a setup that no doubt he foresees and we, will, we know it will happen. There will be a moment in our lives when we and we alone will be the ones who need to step up. And some of us, some of us, um, we may currently be walking through areas in our lives where we know we need to step up in our core commitments. We know we need to step up in our key relationships. There are certain habits that we're lacking that we need to step up and develop. There are certain things at work, in our homes, in our own hearts, in our own internal life, our attitudes, the way we're thinking, whatever it might be, we, we alone, no one will do it for us. And oftentimes, what tends to kind of rise to the surface in those moments, what makes Captain Sully, Sully an amazing example, is that what tends to rise, what's more common, what tends to rise to the surface is fear, a sense of being overwhelmed, feeling ashamed of being capable of being able to step into the challenge. It's far larger than us the capacity to contain ourselves and actually move. It really is contingent on how much pre-work we've done and allowing his grace into our lives. God is fully aware. God is fully aware of our frame, of our doubts, our fears and anxieties. And the beautiful thing is he meets us right there. He doesn't remove the requirement to step up. He gives us the capacity to do it. If you open up your handout, I'd love for us to explore this account of this man named Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet of the Older Testament who had this remarkable experience with God that I think is worth noting. It gives us somewhat of a template of what the human experience is like in this faith journey even though the specifics may be very different. But we're told in verse 1 that it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah writing. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, that is, angelic beings that many have come to describe as fiery beings. 
each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. The vision Isaiah is given us, it, it gives us insight into the very environment in which God is found. It's an extraordinary picture. It's hard for us to grasp, albeit, but it's an extraordinary picture. That it, it's meant to convey something of holiness and supreme power, a, a gravitational pull toward automatic worship. That it, it's, it's, you cannot do anything else except worship. And we get a glimpse of this. We, who may not have, majority of us don't have Isaiah's experience. But we get a glimpse of this when we see excellence in athletics. Or when we hear a, a beautiful piece of music. Or when we see an artistic performance that just elevates the best of humanity. Something inside of us, it, it, it strikes us with a degree of awe. We, we, when in the presence of greatness, you know, it, one soul cannot help but declare, that's great. And I grew up having this experience around athletics. I was not necessarily an artist. Uh, music, though I appreciate it and love it, it's not something that is natural to me. It's very natural to my wife. And so when I was very interested in my wife and, well, actually at the time we were already married and we were, you know, having kind of this ritual of wanting to experience dates and what that's like still, right? And so she, I remember she said, you know what I want to do? I want to go see this artist. And I thought, I don't like that artist. <laughs> and she says, he, he's coming through town and um, I already bought us tickets. We're going. <laughs> and I said, well, I love you, um, so I'll tolerate him. Um, and, you know, I, I remember making our way toward this concert and feeling a little bit bothered that I was going to this date night, that I felt like it should be both of us enjoying it. And so I wanted her to know how much I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> and she was gracious, as she still is, and kind, and she put up with my antics. But I remember kind of just making fun of this artist on the way there. She put the music on, and I was just like, man... I can't believe I'm doing this, you know? And, and we get to the parking lot of the, of, the, of the concert venue and everybody gets out of their cars and they're, they're, they're really, I mean, they're fans. And so they're singing the songs and they're talking about, they can't wait to see him and did you hear what he did in this last point in his tour? And they're like, and so I, I felt out of place. So I decided to sarcastically join in. And I said, yeah. I can't wait either, right? And I started naming songs that were very popular and easy to name, but I, I, I didn't know what his music was like. I didn't really know what he was like. He had a little bit of a bad rap, and that's all I knew. And I remember going in and making my way and kind of befriending those around me, and they didn't know I was being sarcastic. My wife was avoiding me. Uh, she was <laughs> staying significantly away. And I remember getting to our seats and sitting there, and, and the, the murmuring and the anticipation was palpable. I remember the lights going down and all of a sudden the guitar starts playing. And I thought, That's, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I remember kind of just sitting there and all of a sudden I feel the environment change. 
and, and murmuring starts to happen. Do you think that's him? Oh my gosh, that's him. Or is it one of his members? I don't know. I mean, he could do this. He's, he's ridiculous, right? And then he starts, he, he just, this person, it sounds like they're just making it up, but it sounds really good. And the spotlight comes on the stage and all we see is the back of the person playing the guitar. Gets down on his knees playing the guitar and it sounds good. And then people, you hear this collective awe and this gasp as the musician starts to lean back <laughs> playing the guitar. And here's the deal, I will not make this up. Okay, about this person. There's no reason for me to, but they, the, the light flashes on his face and there's John Mayer. <laughs> Just playing that guitar. And he pulls the guitar over his face and then he does something even more impressive. He gets up while playing the guitar. He's like an artist athlete, you know? <laughs> he pulls it over and I was just the jazz ensemble starts playing and the hairs on the back of my neck are up and I'm telling them, no, <laughs> you shouldn't like this. And, but everything inside of me was like, yes, right? And everybody is yelling and, and I'm just silenced and awestruck and humbled. And he just went for the entire night it was amazing. I thought, this is, he's so good. <laughs> he's so skillful. He's, he's gifted. This, how did I not know this, right? And I start repenting. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have made fun of him. Uh, John, forgive me. Uh, and everybody is celebrating and joining in, but I didn't feel worthy. I, I felt like I, I did too good of a job of mocking him. Now I have to eat my humble pie and just take it in, right? Just like, yes, you're good. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah is describing an event. Listen, because you know what John did? John used his uh, gift and his skill to transcend the human experience. And you know what happened? It didn't matter what ethnicity we were all from. It didn't matter what tribe. It didn't matter what background we had. It didn't matter what, what musical tastes we all incorporated. Something happened when excellence is elevated to a high level and we're all able to witness it. You know what happens? Unity and automatic awe comes out of us. We can't help it. Isaiah, he wasn't in the presence of an artist. He wasn't in the presence of a musician or an athlete. He was in the presence. He was in the very presence of the greatest artist, the master artist, the giver of all gifts and talents. You understand this? It's hard for us to grasp, but he was, he was sitting in the presence of the creator of all life. And he saw greater beings than himself. They couldn't help it, but they, all they could do is say, holy Holy, holy. Isaiah, realizing what he's witnessing, I actually is filled up with the very same thing you and I would readily feel, this, this sense 
of awe strikes him and overwhelms him. In fact, I asked them, listen, this, this image of the supreme ruler is what the a commentary said. I asked them to put this up there because I thought, man, this is so significant. It's worth taking a picture of if you want. It says this, every man's course or woman's, every person's course is shaped by the view that they form of the supreme ruler. If a person has such a view, he has no principle. If a person has no such view, he has no principle, and he is living either in anarchy or in slavery to some other mind. What does that mean? This is a profound statement. What he is saying is that if God, the God that we have in our mind, is the God that is revealed within the scriptures, well, that supreme being will elevate out of us the greatest virtues of humanity. And humility will emerge and awe and strength and courage will come out of us. But if, if the image we have, the vision we have is not of the greatness, of the majestic, supreme, powerful one, well then what happens is we are susceptible to a much lower uh, vision of who he is. And you know what happens? We also become susceptible and uh, in many ways vulnerable to the lower qualities of what it's like to be human. And they end up being the ones that dominate who we are. Isaiah brings us into an extraordinarily privileged position of showing us exactly what God is like. And we're told in verse 5 that he said in the, in the presence of this, he says, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. It would be no different than an artist thinking they are good and talented and skillful being, being in the presence of the greatest artists in the world. Automatically, you know what that does? It magnifies how much more this artist needs to go. Or a small town athlete in a small pond being exposed to the enormous vast sea of high level excellent athletes throughout the world. Or an intellectual being exposed to the highest intellects in the world. It automatically creates this internal sense of reproachment and recognition. There is so much of a gap where I thought there wasn't one. I'm undone. I, I have so much to know and learn and grow. And it's at that moment that the seraphim, verse 6, one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of thongs. And he touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. That reproachment you have, it's gone. Your sins are forgiven. Your lack is removed. It's atoned for. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will represent us? Who will, who will be our ambassador, our mediator, our spokesman? Who will go for us? And he said, Isaiah, his moment had come to step up. And Isaiah says, ah, Send me. I think I'm ready. Send me, Lord. Please send me. We will be confronted with moments in our lives. We may think they're irritants. We may think they're frustrations. We may think that somebody else should have done it. We may think 
that really what we feel is resentment and anger, that this is now on us. And all the while it might be God saying, hey, will you step up? Will you be the one? Will you be the one to meet that need? Will you be the one to step up into that situation? Will you be the one who makes the decisions that helps and heals and strengthens? Will you be the one to reconcile? Will you be the one to forgive? Who's going to go if not you? And what we have to understand is Isaiah didn't start there. He ended there. And he began there. How? He began his journey. How? Because I, I want to put this on the board in the moments we have here is that, look, you know what? This shows us stepping up begins with lining our load. Uh, it is going to be extraordinarily difficult to step up into situations with courage and strength if we are bearing a heavy load. What does that mean? It means that we all have baggage, every single one of us. It means that we all have emotional, psychological, relational points of baggage. And a lot of times, His grace in our lives in many ways, it, it begins like Isaiah recognizing how lacking we are, how incapable we feel. We, in a sense, we are all Isaiah. All of us. And when we get an accurate picture of the amazing power of God, you know what happens within us? Is we start to recognize that's what it looks like that's what it looks like. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't compare. There's no way. And yet, his, his response to us, his response to us is to send us a burning coal. You know what the burning coal is? The burning coal is Jesus on the cross dying for us, you and I, and being buried and three days later being resurrected back to life. That is the burning coal. That is the, when we receive his life into our soul, and we allow his grace to touch us, something occurs. Our baggage begins to lighten. Our emotional, our psychological, our relational baggage begins to become less so. And what happens is that we start to recognize that he is the one who is able to step into our lives and say, hey, yes, there are some heavy things you're carrying. Let's talk about this. Let's walk through this. Let me, let me, let me give you grace. Let me give you forgiveness and mercy. Let me cover you. Let me strengthen you. Let me, let me speak words of life over you. Those words don't define you. My words define you. Let me strengthen you in these words and help you in the way you see yourself and the way you feel about yourself. Let me, let, me, let me go ahead and start reconciling your relationships. Yes, there's been a rift. Yes, there's been division. Yes, there's been pain. Yes, there's been disappointment. But will you allow me to start bringing healing into those areas? Will you allow my grace to operate? But they don't deserve it. It's true. Neither did you. Neither did I. Will you receive my grace? Will you receive fire from heaven to burn away the guilt, to burn away the shame, to seal up the wounds? Because when we do this, 
we will start to recognize that there are things. Look, when Jesus enters our lives, you know what happens? There is cleansing and healing, but you know what? Look, even if it was a vision, vision or not, a burning coal burns. It's painful. And when Jesus steps into our lives, it will mean feeling a burning sensation of things we used to cling to, things we used to harbor, things that became our defense mechanisms in the past, and now they're burning down because he is becoming our defender. Things that we used to run to for shelter, they are now crumbling, and that's painful when he is our shelter. He starts calling us out of things. He starts loosening things and challenging things. He starts challenging the way we think, the way our attitudes are expressed, the words we use. He starts challenging our actions. There are things Jesus wants to do in our lives that require us to remain. I don't know about you, but if I'm Isaiah and I see a flaming angel grab a hot coal, and come toward my face. I'm not going to stay there and let it touch my lips. How about you? But Isaiah did. That many times is what it feels like. And Jesus, we like to hold him at a distance. But he loves to get personal come close and become intimate with us. Look at what the writer of the Hebrews said. There, there, there are ways to run this race. He says, listen, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, that is the heavenly reality all around us, let's, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. How do we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, come closer. I'm afraid, but come. It hurts, but come with your healing touch. Come. I keep my eyes on you. If we want to run, we have to lighten our load. Secondly, you know what this also reminds us of? Is that stepping up is fueled by grateful willingness. Isaiah had just had the deepest part of his soul and his sense of burden uh, on his shoulders alleviated. There is no way he had anything other than gratitude when he saw an opportunity to be able to do something for the one who had done so much for him. There's no way. It, it is true what Jesus said. He who is forgiven much, she who is forgiven much, loves much. When we receive the depth of his grace over our lives, you know what happens? We start, it, it just can't happen. It, it just spontaneously starts to erupt. How can I love? How can I give? How can I serve? How can I contribute? Lord, where is there a place for me to step up into something? And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. We start, something starts to fuel us. And there is no greater fuel than gratitude for what he has done for us. It, it is not, look, with a sense of begrudging, sense of obligation. It's not with bitterness and resentment because nobody else is doing it. It's with a sense of joy that, God, thank you that I get to be the one. I get to be the one. There's no way Captain Sully, when that crisis began, he was thanking God for the opportunity. But I can't tell you how many times he thanked God 
after. Because it be he became somebody far different. He became known as somebody far different. It transformed his life. There's no other way. In our moments, listen, when we step into them, oh, we start to recognize that God is not only doing something through us, he's doing something in us. And that becomes a fuel for gratitude to emerge within us. Gratitude for the privilege of getting to impact somebody's life. Gratitude for the privilege of being able to leave a mark of something that is good and beautiful and true and lovely in this world. Gratitude. Gratitude. For the fact that he is the one who is able to remove our anger and resentment. Who is able to replace our self-pity with enormous sense of confidence and strength and courage. Gratitude. Thank you. Because he didn't have to use us, but he chose to invite us. He chose to invite us. When we do that, when we step up, listen, you know what happens? It connects us with God's heart for the world around us. Because when we're the ones who say, yes, I hear this in this situation. You're the one asking me, who will, who will go before me? And, I, and we say, yes, I will step up. I, I will go send me. You know what happens? Is we start to recognize Yes, it's so easy. All we need to do is read the paper. Watch any news. So easy to recognize how broken our world is. But to have a vision of the beauty that God wants to create in the midst of our broken world and to be able to step into that beauty recognizing we get to be vehicles of it, to have a vision of what God wants to produce in our home, in our most intimate relationships, a vision, not of what currently is, but of what he is creating. And we get to be a part of that? That's your heart for my, for my wife, for, for our husband, for our friends, for our neighbors, for, for, for our co-workers? That's your heart, God? There's a person that irritates us and we hear his compassion and his grace for them? And we get to become the people who, who sense something of his hand upon us? Because listen, we step into situations differently when we recognize God is doing something. It's not just us. You better believe Isaiah stepped into his work environment, into his family environment, into his friendship environment. Noticeably different because why? He was sent. God was up to something. Had his hand on him. The confidence that emerges when we know we are participating is something that will outlast us, that is far more permanent than anything else we think actually is permanent. It will overpower our fear, our shame, sense of being overwhelmed. Because we team up with the one who wants to do a great thing in our midst. My prayer, my prayer is that every single one of us here would be willing to receive his grace working within us so that when our moment to step up arrives, we say, send me. Use me. And I thank you for the privilege of getting to be the one to step up. Lord, you are the truly majestic one who are far kinder and more gracious and loving 
than our deepest fears say. You are the one who does not condemn. You do not push away. You move toward. You do not disqualify. You actually have given us the means by which we can be the ones to take a step with you. I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you for his tenderness and his love and his grace. I thank you for the promise you say you will never leave nor forsake. And I thank you that there is not one moment in our lives that we may count it as insignificant. There's not one moment that is wasted on you. I pray that your grace would do its work, that you would set us up for our moment or moments when we most need it to step out. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.